The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. I can tell you from experience, the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. Don't think, feel. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger, or you will miss all that heavenly glory. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Nicholas Gregoratis Show. I hope you guys are doing exceptionally well. Before we get into today's episode, I just want to let you guys know that my jiu-jitsu association, Subconscious Jiu-Jitsu, is expanding. We now have 15 affiliated academies in North America and different parts of the world. And when my partner Brent Berniston and I set out to do this, number one core value or mission tenant was to have fun. And we're having a lot of fun with it. We're doing cool trips like this uh, end of the month, we're going to do a training camp in Miami. We do different camps in California. We're probably going to do one in Japan in the next year or so. And we're just creating this really wonderful community of like-minded jiu-jitsu individuals. And if you're wanting to affiliate your academy or you're wanting to start an academy and be under an affiliation that can guide you and that can help you grow both professionally and as a martial artist, we are here to help you. So head on over to the website, subconsciousbjj.com, and you can find out more info there. You can send us an email directly from there. Let's jump into the episode with Mark Singh. But in fact, before we jump into the episode, this was recorded several months ago now probably six to eight months ago, I've had a real backlog of pre-recorded episodes and a bottleneck when it comes to production because I've just been too busy to get them out in time. So what I'm noticing is my own personal beliefs and perspectives and philosophies are changing so rapidly generally that after six months, some of the things I might've said in a show are now completely or perhaps not completely irrelevant, but largely irrelevant because I just don't look at the world in the same way. And I think this particular episode is, I don't think that my opinions have changed too much, but the topic that we're discussing, uh, the guest I'm discussing is not really something I'm that interested in, in talking about anymore. So if he had approached me now and asked to talk about this, I probably would have turned him down. However, we still had an interesting conversation and he is clearly someone who really believes what he espouses. He's very zealous in his beliefs. And I think on the whole, he's a good guy. So I want to give him this platform to share and talk about, about his system and his method. And, uh, Either way, it was it was an interesting conversation. So I hope you guys enjoy. Here is the episode with Mark Singh. Hey, brothers, welcome to the show, Mr. Mark Singh, the host of the Unapologetic Man podcast. Mark, I'm so happy to have you on the show, brother. Appreciate you having me on, Nick. Yeah, so um, so much to talk about. The topics that that you cover in your show and that you you listed in your intake form are, are things that I like to consider, or most of them are things that I consider close to my heart. And let's let's just dive right in. 
the unapologetic man. So I'm guessing that means you, you think that most men are apologetic. Yeah. Yeah, I do. And I think that there's a movement in society that tries to make us in some respects, feel guilty for our masculinity, feel guilty for the aggression we naturally have inside of us as masculine men. So the whole purpose of my podcast is to be fully who you are. Don't apologize for it, own it. And I, I specifically teach how to attract women, but you know, deeper than that, as you yourself teach, it's about self-development becoming a man who a woman would want to be with. And that includes being quote unquote unapologetic, which is living in your own reality, believing in your interpretation of reality, which is actually what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. So I noticed there, it sounds like you're using some kind of frame control already, which, so I'll tell you a little story, man. And I just want to have a fun, I want to have an interesting conversation. You seem like an interesting guy. And, and I know you're the kind of guy who can take it when I challenge you. I was in South Africa recently. And in December, I was there to see my family, to spend Christmas with my family. And my sister was dating this guy who she brought over to the barbecue we had one day with a bunch of my friends and, and family. And this guy, he was a younger kid. I think he's like 28, 29. And he was sitting with my friends and I, and look, when I meet someone, I just play the man in front of me. I don't care what color his skin is, what he looks like, what he does for a living, how much money he has. I don't give a fuck. I just want you to show me who you are, right? I want to see what kind of person you are. And I just got this weird vibe from this kid. Like he just, he gave up these weird douchebag vibes that I couldn't quite place. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And what I realized, my sister told me later that she mentioned that he was reading a book on some sort of communication strategy, right? It wasn't frame control. It was some other kind of thing where he was like, I don't even know what it was, but it was just, it made the conversation really artificial and it, he was inauthentic, right? And for me, like, I don't like those types of interactions, man. I, I want things to be authentic, right? So what are your thoughts on that? Like this idea of, you know, instead of just being who you really are, learning a system and then superimposing that onto your interactions with people. I mean, and again, I, I'm not sold on either one. I, I'm just very interested in your, in your opinion on that. Yeah. So we understand that frame control is your interpretation of reality, how you interact with others. And as we'll get into, as the show progresses, leading specifically women where they want to be led. Well, in frame control, we understand that your interpretation of reality is the best interpretation for you and you believe in it. Now that includes being non-reactive to people's hatred towards you, people trying to challenge you. It includes not trying to sell yourself to people, trying to supplicate to them. And it also includes Nick being very genuine and, and not being disingenuous because disingenuous is a fabrication, which basically comes from not believing in yourself. So if I were to guess, he's a young guy and, and we all try on different masks throughout our development, but being, being a young kid and, and meeting the great Nick G, you know, we can only empathize with his situation that he's probably intimidated. So he tried to fabricate this frame, if you will, or this personality, because he didn't fully believe in himself, which is actually the opposite of frame control that in fact, when you have a strong sense of reality, when you believe in you and your interpretation, you become totally genuine and not afraid of people's opinion. See, the ability to be vulnerable 
which you're a BJJ master and I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu myself. So we'll definitely talk about that. But there's certain times in a role where you have to be vulnerable, expose yourself to get the advantage. And that, and when I say advantage, you know, that that is referenced to BJJ specifically when in conversations, if you're fully vulnerable, which is also reflecting your body language, that shows that you're not afraid of the other person, that you are securing yourself where they can't negatively influence you. And that's the quintessential element of frame which is derived of vulnerability, which is derived of being genuine. So I think in his case, he, he was studying it, but perhaps he didn't fully under, understand or was just at the rudimentary level of understanding. So, so interesting to me. There was a period where I was very interested in the game and I, I hung out with some of the best pickup artists in the world. I mean, if I told you their names, you'd absolutely know who they were. Mm. Uh, gentlemen featured in Neil Strauss's The Game. Yep. And the one guy, it was interesting because it was clear. It was very clearly evident to me the minute I started interacting with him in person that he was not born with charisma or social skills. And whether mm-hmm. that whether that was because he was on the spectrum, which I suspected, yeah, or just because it was something genetically, he just wasn't given that gift. But he was such an intelligent human being that he went and re- like he looked at models and he used modeling to revert. He would, he would look at popular people and the way they interacted in the world and the way they socialized. And he just reverse engineered what they did. It was, yeah. it's, it's miraculous what this guy yeah. did. Yeah. And he basically recoded himself to become gregarious and social and outgoing and charismatic. It, it blows my mind. But having said that, having said that, there's, a, there's an expression they say in Eastern Europe, and might be in Russia or, or Ukraine or, or one of those countries. I'm not sure exactly which one it is, but they say blood will tell, right? And you could always, I could always sense on some level, like, like no matter how well he had practiced it, no matter how good he was at it, he didn't have it. He still just didn't have it. Do you get what I'm saying? Absolutely. I know who you're talking about too, because yeah. um, I know who it is. I, I actually was friends with him when we lived in Hawaii. We'll leave his name out out of respect for him, but I, I totally know who you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's interesting. So I guess this question, I don't even think you can answer it. I was going to say, how do you be more of the, the real guy and less of the inauthentic guy on this process, right? Where you, where you're doing this, when you developing this frame control. And, and I guess my next question is a bigger question is practicing something like, I suppose you answered this already. I was going to say like, even the fact that we're doing this kind of stuff, like learning about this kind of stuff, this isn't the kind of stuff that I picture George Clooney doing, or I picture Hicks and Gracie doing, or I picture guys who just have it. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's kind of almost, what are your thoughts? So first and foremost, you know, how do we practice this without being disingenuous, without putting on a mask is, you're yourself when you're not thinking. And in order to get to the place of not thinking about it and it being frame control, you have to first think about it. Just like BJJ, right? Like I'm a blue belt, you're a black belt. You're at a level where it's intuitive, where you don't have to think about it. It just is. And you'll even come up with moves out of that isness that aren't taught in the in the BJJ schools. It just it just happens from your deeper understanding of the concepts. Well, that's the same thing with this frame control thing. First, we have to understand the concept. Then we have to actually go out and practice. And then it just becomes who you are. And that's when you become genuine. 
Now, the gentleman we were just speaking about, I don't have that deep of an understanding on his psychology, but you're right. He's mildly on the uh, spectrum and he has Asperger's and he was able to pick up on all these subtle cues and code it so that he could just act correctly. And perhaps you being very intuitive, were able to pick up on a slight disingenuous element to his personality. But outside of that example, for the majority of, for example, my clients, once they've had several hundred and preferably several thousand interactions with women, they just become themselves. And like I said, you are yourself when you're not thinking. You ask somebody, hey man, just be yourself. Just, just be yourself. He's like, well, who is that? Well, let's see. Just like the guy at your party in South Africa, right? He's like, well, I'm probably this cool guy who's dating Nick G's sister and um, I'm very successful and I'm a go-getter. So let me fabricate that personality. And then you immediately picked up on it. So yeah, we have to start that way, but with enough practice and enough reps, just like mat time, it becomes intuitive and it goes from conscious application to unconscious flow. And you get in that flow state and then you become completely congruent with who you are. And the incongruence, women pick up on that. And how do I get through the incongruence? I tell my guys all the time, just reps, man, reps upon reps. That's why in my program, I just make my dudes open 20 girls a week, not trying to take anything from them. I always say, be a go-giver, go give her good energy, a good conversation. And that funkiness, that stink that we call it will, will come off of you naturally. And then you're just a cool guy. You know, you walk into a room, people are like, okay, this dude's cool because of those reps. Uh, so... Mark, I'm thoroughly enjoying this conversation and I'm going to push you on some points because I know you can take it. <laughs> so the unapologetic man, I love the idea. It's something I, I aspire to be, but I've noticed you very often or a few times you've steered the conversation back to like, and I, I've done it as well. This idea of, you know, women find this attractive or women don't find this attractive. You know, I made the mistake in life. It was a huge mistake. Uh, that I, I paid very dearly for as a man, which was believing that my worth as a man and a human being was directly related to the woman that I was able to attract and keep as a mate. Right? I, I really like, I, I, when I went through a divorce a couple of years ago, that was one of the, the key parts of the, the lessons I learned, which was, or the main lesson I learned, which was that I just got to love myself regardless of what's going on, regardless of what relationship I'm in, regardless of how much money I have, I've just got to love myself. And what I've realized is that I am happiest when I'm not trying to attract women or when I'm not even trying to be the guy that women find attractive. I'm happiest when I'm just fucking having fun and enjoying life and doing the things that I enjoy. What are your thoughts on that? Being it that I'm a dating coach, I always put it through that perspective because that's highly motivating to men, right? Is I want to become more attractive to women. But your question is a good one because it points to the quintessential nucleus of frame control, which is you accept yourself and you don't give a literal shit what other people think mm -hmm. of you. So mm -hmm. when, when you are out speaking to girls, I always talk about outcome independence, which is did you go approach that girl? Yes, I did. That's all that matters. Congratulate yourself on the effort, not the result. You had the courage to go do it. It was you against you. And that, that's the only thing that matters. I don't care if you get her phone number or if she likes you. And when you don't care, what happens? She usually ends up liking you. But certainly as a dating coach, I put it through the perspective of this is what is attractive to women, which is 
you not caring <laughs> if you're attractive to women, uh, ironically. Because yeah, we learned this with the intention. I want to do this. And that's a big sticking point for a lot of guys is they're like, man, Mark, I only got like five phone numbers this week. I'm so bummed. I'm like, how many girls did you go approach? Well, about 25. How many of those were you really afraid to approach? Oh, there was at least five. That's where you put your self-congratulations because it's moving into fear willingly, right? If you do what's hard, your life will be easy. If you do what's easy, your life will be hard. So we as men and unapologetic men move into discomfort willingly. And that is also a mark of a man who has that self-belief, which is the quintessential uh, essence of frame control. Where else in life do you use frame control besides interactions with women? Every single conversation you have right now, there's a frame between you and I. So you're the podcast host. I'm the uh, guest. So you're leading this conversation. You're leading the frame. Now, we could definitely delve deeper into the weeds and talk about how when you acquiesce and let somebody have the frame, you're actually controlling the frame, which is an interesting dynamic right now. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, I'd love to hear more about that. We'll get into that. So even between you and your boss, you and your friends, there's always frame control battles. And what, what I'm really fascinated by and interested in is how subtle this is and how 99% of people don't realize it's happening. But when you have a strong frame and, and, and having a strong frame, I want people to understand it doesn't mean being stubborn. It doesn't mean trying to control. It actually means being less reactive and just more confident in your own interpretation and unaffected, unaffected, unemotional. And that's why, and I heard you talking about this on another podcast you were on, you say that it's okay for men to have emotions, but what's unattractive is when you express those emotions to a woman. And what I'd add to that is, if you're defeated by the emotion, that's what's unattracted. You can even express it. Like I'll tell my woman, hey, you know, like right now I'm going on the Nick G show. I'm a little bit nervous, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to get past this because I have self-belief. So with that in hand, it's in all interactions, you know, particularly with women, but also your friends, you know, your friends tell you all the time, hey, Greg, uh, nice tattoos, man. Like, what are you trying to do? Show off your muscles? That, that's what we call a frame check. They're checking your frame to see if they can affect you. Now, the wrong answer would be, no, nah, man, you know, I just, I really like tattoos. I think they look great. No, no, I'm not trying to show off my muscles. The correct answer would be like, bro, why are you looking at my muscles, man? Are you kind of obsessed with me? You flip it around on them because you know that your reality is the right thing for you. And you, it's them that they're the issue here. And that's I mean, somebody... to me, to me, the correct answer would be to try to choke the fucker out if he, <laughs> if, he made, if he made a judgment on me. Like, and I'm, I'm just but, kidding. Um, yeah, I know you're kidding. I know what you Nick, mean. That means you're affected, doesn't it? And that's why, as a jujitsu master, you don't go, just go choking everybody out because you know you could. And that's what uh, somebody with a strong frame does—a self belief. I guarantee you, you are the last person to get into a fight at Whole Foods when somebody grabs the last salad and you're like, "Hey, man, I wanted that." Unless it's the Whole Foods parking lot, because then it's definitely going down. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's parking uh, spaces. Yeah, I know if you've seen, there's a music video called Whole Foods Parking Lot about this. It's actually fucking funny. It's on YouTube. It's about this guy who gets into a fight in the Whole Foods parking lot. And I, I highly recommend it if you haven't watched it. Oh, dude, I'll watch that for sure. Interesting. I've got so many thoughts. You know, there, there were a couple of points in my, my marriage where I was... For a bunch of reasons, I was very weak and emotional. Um, the pressures of life and moving to a new country and, you know, uh, there were a bunch of things where I, I was really like, I was, I wouldn't say defeated, but I was very down. And 
I, even before these things happened, I said to my ex-wife, I said, I don't want to show you my emotions because I know it's not attractive. I knew uh, it, generally the, the perception is that men are not supposed to be emotional because what women are looking for is they're looking for stability, right? I've always liked the idea, you know, in life, a, a woman is like a wave, right? She's tempestuous and she's like this, or not a wave, um, a sea in a, storm, a stormy sea. It's crashing. Her emotions are, are volatile and labile and they're up and down. And she's going with her feelings and just feeling her way through life. And she doesn't want another wave or another stormy sea. She wants a lighthouse that she can crash against that is immovable. And then mm. just sits, and I, that, that analogy always stuck with me. Yeah. But it became an issue for me when I realized that, fuck, bro, I can't always be the lighthouse. Sometimes yeah. life is bigger than me. Sometimes like, you know, sometimes I can't take it. Sometimes something will happen. Like, you know, like there's a death or there's a tragedy or there's something where it's, it's too much for me. And, and I can't just be stoic and impassive and Zen. And I guess the question I have for you is when those things happen to you, what do you do? Do you go and cry in your room alone or do you pretend and fake it? Meanwhile, you're dying on the inside. Do you, do you tell your woman, like, what, how do you approach that? Yeah, it's such a good question, right? Because we want to be authentic with our woman and be genuine and show her who we really are. So the way I handle it personally, and certainly this isn't the right answer. This is the right answer for me, which, which again is frame control. I'm not trying to convince other people of anything because what you and your audience believe is none of my business. So, and then that's frame control, but this is what works for me is I, I have coaches I continuously work on myself. And one of the coaches I have is a neuro-linguistic NLP, neuro-linguistic programming. Practitioner, yeah. Or coach, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and I bitch to him about my problems, frankly. And we meet once a week. And uh, on Wednesdays, I have my event session and we work on those issues that we all have. No matter how much you're working on yourself, you'll always have something that challenges you. Because that's the point of life is challenges make us grow. So we invite them and we're thankful for them. Mm -hmm. When it comes to my woman, you know, I will admit to her that I'm challenged, I'm challenged with these things, but I think the most important thing to communicate, not only to your woman, but to yourself is that you have the wherewithal to get through it. Cause I honestly believe that life doesn't give you a challenge unless you can You're get through it. it. Yeah. yeah. Like you, yeah. right. You have the strength to get through it. You, you, you have that. And that's why it gives it to you. So and, and, you know, if, if my mom passes away, I'm not going to not cry to my woman. Like I want her to hold me. I want to, I want to cry with her. And that's a specific situation where, you know, I feel as a man, I can cry to my woman, but let's say, for example, sales are down in my business and it really pisses me off. Well, I don't think that's a beneficial thing to show to my woman. Her name mm -hmm. is Marissa, um, because it, it does kill attraction as you yourself have found. And in a lot of ways, the relationship takes work. And sometimes that means working on what you choose to show and not show and when and where, but always being honest. So if my business is down, I may tell her, Marissa, you know, uh, sales are down about 25% this month. And to be honest with you, it really pisses in my river and I'm freaking pissed. But you know what? I'm going to up those sales no matter what. I'm getting on YouTube. I'm going to go on the Nick G show. Like I'm going to get more clients. And, and that's what I'm going to do. So the way to handle it always is you can be vulnerable with a woman. And in my coaching, I talk about how to tell stories of vulnerability. 
but it's always under the preface that you're going to persevere past that issue. And in, in telling stories about the past, my dad dying when I was 10, for example, me having a panic attacks and agoraphobia when I lived in Japan, these are things that I've persevered past. So it's okay for me to communicate them as long as I'm showing that masculine persistence to overcome. Mm. It's interesting because from what I can tell about you, Mark, your, a lot of your worldview, a lot of your, your theories, a lot of your belief systems, a lot of your frame comes indirectly from pickup artistry or directly from pickup artistry, which itself was very heavily influenced by evolutionary biology. Now, evolutionary biology is to me, one of the most terrifying things I ever came across, because if you really, if you believe what claims, it's a very, very dark view on human nature, as far as I'm concerned. For example, looking through that lens, they explain the reason being, or the reason why women find men's displays of emotion unattractive is because when we were hunter-gatherers living um, in tribal societies or nomadic societies, a woman would be with a man because she wanted access to his resources, whether those were his genetic resources based on the way he looked or physical fitness or whatever it might be, or the, the land he had control over or dominion over. She wanted access to that because that would ultimately mean there was more available to her offspring, right? Her offspring would have a better chance of survival. And she also had to know that during her most vulnerable moments, which was when she was giving childbirth out there in, in a bush somewhere, that this man was capable of defending her and her offspring, right? And so the theory is that if you're a sensitive guy who shows emotions or cries or shows any kind of weakness, it automatically, whether she knows it or not, consciously or unconsciously, it flicks a little switch in her that starts a cascade of events that leads to her losing attraction for you. And I go back and forth as to whether I believe this, you know, but part of me thinks it makes sense. And another part of me like thinks it is an overly reductionist, simplistic perspective on human communication and, and social dynamics. I'd love to hear your, your um, input on this. I think it's a little bit of both. So what, what's really looked for from a woman to a man is survivability. Because when we say she wants your resources, that gives guys the false impression that money matters. Money is an attribute of a guy with ambition, which is an attribute of survivability. So while, while some people think that women are attracted to money, in a way they are. But if the guy is what we call low value, he supplicates to her, he dumps his emotions on her, he has a weak frame, then no amount of money is going to get her attracted to you. It's just one one element that signs that points to survivability. Now, survivability is your ability to be successful as a human being. In today's society, more than being able to fight well, it's about being able to be socially effective, in my opinion. The ability to banter, to have charisma, to be funny, and but also to be ambitious, to be a go-getter, to be a guy who is heavily ensconced in his own masculinity, a guy whose his own opinion is, is the most important opinion to himself 
And those are elements of survivability. Now, why does it matter how good you could survive? Because just as you said, pass on those genes to her offspring so they too can survive. And yes, she wants a guy who can protect her, provide for her, preside over her. Those things are all attractive. And I think that that does have a big bearing on women's attraction for men, even in today's age. But also we have to realize that just compatibility, similar attitudes, similar personalities, jiving with somebody, and even on a spiritual level, in my opinion, that spiritual connection that I I don't know if you're married, Nick, but I I have a woman who is my soulmate. It's like when I hold this girl, I, I literally can feel her spirit pouring through me. And that's something that you can't fabricate by reading the game, right? Or taking boot camps on a weekend. But to find that, and this is what I teach my guys is from quantity comes quality, which is why I have my guys speaking to many different women, building the skill set and building themselves as a man, getting their confidence corrected with neuro-linguistic programming to, so that when that woman walks around the corner, you have the skill set to be able to talk to her and display these things so that inevitable connection that is, in my opinion, spiritual can manifest because how many guys listening have lost out on a potential soulmate because they didn't have the skill set and self-belief and those traits of survivability that would have attracted her. So I don't think it's as simple as just tribal community survivability, but it's, it's also that, that kind of soul connection because I'm a very spiritual person and I think that really plays a part in it. So thank you. That, that's an, I, I appreciated that answer. One of my closest friends and mentors who I believe has developed a new technology, a superior technology for relationships, in particular romantic relationships. He has a matrix that he developed that it's a, it's a little two by five matrix that lists the differences between typical relationships and consciousness and conscious relationships. And one of the things he says is in a typical relationship, you attract the partner you desire based on the image you project. Whereas in a conscious relationship, you keep the partner you deserve based on the way you show up every day. And I think this for me is, is kind of at the root of our conversation is I'm trying to figure out which of those is more accurate, right? Or if they're both required, do you have to first project this image to attract the partner and then you keep them based on what you deserve and the way you show up every day? Or can you just skip the image bullshit and go straight to the like, attract the person you deserve? Do you get what I'm saying? It's quite a, quite a nuanced question. And I probably could have phrased it differently, but I'm sure you understand. You know, my first instinct to that, to that question is it's both, but obviously I've only had 13 seconds to reflect on it. So (laughs) that, that would be my answer now, but perhaps I change my mind in the future. But I think, you know, first impressions, social dynamics, social systems, social groups play a part in it. You know, how, how you first show up. Exactly. But, but then there's the spiritual element. So, I mean, make no mistake, there's guys out there that probably have extremely weak senses of reality, as I certainly did, who are extremely unconfident, whose soulmate was in a bar one night and she was absolutely gorgeous and they would have had the most amazing life together. But because he didn't have the skill set, he couldn't get his foot in the door to kind of Mm. show that to her. So certainly both are required, in my opinion. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I, I agree with you to some degree the industry or the culture, the pickup culture, which I didn't spend very long in. 
um, but I found fascinating. One of the things I took away from that is, and that I really admired about it is I'm, I'm someone I'm, I'm always my driving ambition in life or my passion in life. My reason for being is I just want to manifest the best version of myself. I want to be the best possible human being I can be. And I found at the core of a lot of that stuff, that was the solution, right? The solution wasn't to learn more pickup lines or tricks or sexual techniques or whatever it might be. The solution was just to like be the best fucking version of yourself, right? Like upgrade yourself, do more work, like get in better shape, like learn more, like just improve your personality. Just be, be a better dude, right? Be a better you. And um, I think that's, that's really cool. Yeah, I agree. You know, the, the pickup community, man, I get so much hate, Nick. It's, it's insane how many emails I get. And if they actually listen to my podcast, it is a super positive, supportive, loving, even to women podcast. Like I love women, make no mistake, but because of the bad reputation of pickup artists, quote unquote, you know, I'm automatically hated on. I had this guy tell me the other day, he wished I would die. And I was like, wow, man, the, the state of consciousness you'd have to be in to, to write somebody like me, something like that. It, I actually have a level of compassion for him because he must be suffering deeply in order to want to create that same suffering within myself. So it definitely has its bad reputation. And I'm trying to break the mold of that reputation by exactly what you said, man. Just be a good fucking dude. Be the best dude you can be. Believe in yourself. Be unapologetic about who you are. And women will become attracted to that. And a lot of times when guys go through my program, they're always like, man, you know, I just feel so much happier about me. And I'm like, that's the whole point, brother. You know, it's kind of a bait and switch. I'm going to teach you how to get girls, teach you how to, you know, do all that. And then at the end, they're like, oh my God, I just feel so much better. I'm a happier dude. And I'm like, bait and switch, baby. You know, And uh, I definitely teach how to, how to get the girls. And I love doing it. It's super ridiculously interesting to me, but ultimately it's be about becoming the best dude you can be. That's why when you hit me up, I was like, oh, hell yeah. I want to talk to Nick. Cause I know that's what you talk about too. Yeah. But yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate the, the approach you're taking with, with your work. And I, would suggest anyone listening, if you want to find out more about Mark and what he does, you can just go to type in the Unapologetic Man podcast and it'll pop up. Is that right, Mark? You'll find it easily on Google or is there a URL you want to send the guys to? No, you, you'll find it. If you can if you can spell unapologetic, then you have the right to all the secrets I drop on that podcast. But yeah, I sincerely hope my listeners can spell unapologetic. You'd be surprised, bro. I know, I know, I actually. I, I, yeah, uh, yeah, agreed. Mark, thank you so much for your time, brother. I really appreciate you. I appreciate you, Nick. That was a really uh, intelligent conversation. I was super impressed with the questions and I love talking about this stuff. So definitely my favorite conversation of the month. I remember there was a period in my mid twenties, maybe even mid to late twenties. I think I was maybe, I want to say 26 or 27 years old. I was living in London at the time and I had just broken up with my first girlfriend and I was young and single and hanging out in London. And, you know, I was experimenting with a lot of different things. It's when I started to, the first time I'd ever used the weed was around that age. First time I touched any sort of psychedelic or drug was that age. And I was reading a lot and really expanding my mind to a lot of things. And one of the things I started to engage with was the pickup artist community. Cause I had just read that book, the game by Neil Strauss. And I thought that book was fascinating. You know, I was a young very horny sexual guy. And I'd just been in this long-term relationship and was kind of like, damn, it's, 
let's play. You know, I was, I was ready to go. And I thought like, you know, this, this stuff is fascinating. Is there a better way to do this than just, is there a better way to date than just randomly stumble onto a relationship? And so I'd made quite a deep dive into the, the world of pickup artistry and the things surrounding it. And it was fascinating because there were many, I mean, some of the guys are total creepers and, you know, they just turned my stomach and I just couldn't get on board with some of this stuff. But I found at the core of it all was this understanding that a lot of people believe that pickup artists are just guys who learn pickup lines. That's the overwhelming impression that I had at that point. It's like, oh, you can find this sequence of expressions or basically the magic words that will unlock a woman's desire for you. And I think what most people who engage with that stuff realize is that that couldn't be further from the truth. It really is more about becoming the best man that you can be. You're not going to fool a beautiful, confident, independent woman with some pickup lines. I mean, you might make her smile or get her attention or intrigue her, but if your underlying core essence as a man is shaky, the foundation is shaky, then even if you do get that woman, you're going to lose her. And I subsequently learned that the hard way uh, later in life. So I think that this whole industry and community, while a lot of it is toxic and a lot of it is misguided, there are elements of truth to it. And I think it's one of those things we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I would urge you, if this is of any interest to you and you want to find out more about it, get a book by Neil Strauss. He's the author of The Game, but don't read The Game. Read the book, The Truth. It's the, the follow-up to The Game. And that book, I put that on my, my list of probably... 20 most, it's probably one of the 20 most influential books I've ever read because you really see the trajectory of this guy who became, you know, one of the best pickup artists in the world and he ultimately became a sex addict and it took him down a very dark path and eventually he had to go from, he had to evolve and go beyond the game and ultimately find the truth. And I'm not going to spoil what that truth that he found was, but I urge you to read that book. It's it's very illuminating and very entertaining as well. So I hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Mark and I will be back in a week or two with another episode. Until then, remember, we're all alone in this together. Bye.